Welcome back to Kafaru Cast, everyone. It's a couple days after Thanksgiving, and I just got back from uh, hunting with Brian Broderick in Oklahoma. And Brian was happy and uh, nice enough to grace us with his presence today. And I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, you bet. Thanks a lot. I, I uh, was hoping that I'd get at least a break from from you after spending a week with you, but I guess two days is as much as I get. That's his, yeah. That's all you get. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, you're 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 out at your ranch in Alabama right now, aren't you? Yeah, well, in the in the western Midwest and Western states, they're ranches. In the South, they're farms. You have to get your terminology uh, correct. Uh, yeah, I get all funked up. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm out here now getting uh, kind of getting a, a bearing on on uh, what the deer are doing here and getting stands set up. So uh, when you and Franklin come down. Uh, in December, we'll be ready to get after them doves. Gotcha. Cool, cool. Well, before we get into the Oklahoma, Alabama whitetail stuff, um, how's the arrow business going? I, I mean, we got a ton of questions while we were out there about the arrow. So, uh, I mean, are you liking it so far? Is it going as well as you thought it would? Oh, yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's definitely going uh, way better than I thought it would. Honestly, it's it's certainly exceeded my expectations um on such a short short amount of time here and you know you and i both seem to get as i think you get as many questions about them as i do because uh you know people see you using them way more than anybody else so um i know it's kind of driven you crazy i really appreciate you (laughs) helping me out with it fielding all the questions well, yeah, it's good in tree, tree stand time. It's good killing time on the phone. And I, the only thing I screwed up was a coyote being on my phone, so it wasn't wasn't too bad. But I, I um, you know, we did the podcast earlier on <clears throat> FOC, and you know, we've done a bunch. We're gonna you know kick out here soon on um, bear shaft tuning. But I mean, the uh, you know the 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 podcast you and I did definitely went the the best or got the most downloads and. I, I get the question, you know, to this day of, of uh, the speed versus arrow weight thing. Like, why did I never really worry about speed so much? And, right. you know, when you look at, uh, well, you, you shot a buck, and we'll get into that in a minute, but you rung right through it, and you're shooting, what, 48, 50 pound? What are you shooting? That one's 54. Don't, don't try to sell me short. <laughs> so 54, and how much is your arrow weigh? Uh, that arrow was uh, five sixty. Yeah, so you're you're about where I'm at. Um, I think I'm five sixty eight or five seventy two. Um, you know, and I'm well. That one, uh, the second buck, I, I broke its offside, you know, leg. Um, and then my first buck, um, I shot the the first time, and when it only went maybe eighty yards or less, but it still had a little life left in it and I uh, put one actually in its neck because that's all I could see when it stood up and that was pretty devastating going through all that as well out of a of a recurve and I've always just had way better luck with a quiet bow uh, and a heavy arrow flying you know straight and it seems like people are starting to get that idea uh, I mean what what do you get the most questions about as far as just spine and components or anything like I mean yeah well the yeah, well, the number the number one question I get is is um, is your chart your spine chart figured for 
your weight component because our outserts weigh 50 grains and 100 grains. And so, you know, that's the, the main question I get. And I tell them, yes, that the, the original spine chart is made for the, it was figured with the 50 grain outsert. Now, since I've gotten so many questions about the 100 grain stuff too, I've now added a second set of spine charts uh, for the 100 grain uh, outsert component or, or the half out component, whichever they choose. So now both of them are there. The second question I get the most is, is that I'm just not sure <laughs> what I should really be getting. My bow is, you know, this bow, this model, this weight, at this draw, what do you recommend? And that's the really the easiest thing for people to do because I can just very quickly respond and say, yep, this is what you want because now we've set up so many guys Believe it or not, it's just about every spec somebody sends me, we've already set up 10 guys with the same exact bow, same draw length, same, same draw weight. So it's pretty easy to get people where they need to be, you know, with the right arrow choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree. And same, I, there's not too many. I mean, plus or minus quarter inch and arrow length or a couple pounds or whatever. Um, yeah. As far as guys wanting to know, well, I can... I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you one more uh, question that I, we need to talk about that I'll forget if I don't say it now is that our components accept standard, any standard head or point. It's not a deep six. Um, that I get that tons and tons and tons. We can, you, you can put any standard broadhead or point in, in these um, uh, components. Uh, in saying that though, I will say that, some field tips, especially the real cheap ones, are not machined to very tight tolerances. And we machined our components to extremely tight tolerances. So if you get a few field points that won't go in, it's just kind of crappy field points. Um, you, you really almost, you know, you can either, either I can put a lot of slop in the, in the components to fit any kind of quality of point, or I can make mine tight to where the higher quality, you know, broadheads and points will fit. Any broadhead will fit because they're made pretty tight, but it's just the feel point. Some of them are kind of junky. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I've I've told guys, you know, I'm like, you can actually reef the th- thread through while I don't encourage that because um, you can also double thread or cross thread doing that. But generally the beginning um, uh, of the thread of a – like of a field tip or whatever may have some imperfections in it. And so it won't, the, the threads won't lock together or intertwine and then spiral down is what you run into or, or the thread on a, a field tip might be a little bit smaller or larger gap than what it's supposed to be. Um, you can get it well, in by reefing it. The shoulders a little too, too thick too above the threads. Yeah. Yeah. And and that, it, that it can be all the way in. And so, you know, when we were manufacturing these, you know, basically the, the tool and guy guys were saying, hey, do you want to manufacture your components kind of like industry standard and leave a lot of play in it so it'll accept even the, the poor quality stuff? Or do you want to get them perfect? And I said, I want them perfect. I don't want to I don't want to build this high quality of an arrow and component and then build it to accept subpar points, you know. So, so that is one of the things that we run into from time to time. But it's very rare. Yeah, and I've only had it happen on one of mine, but I run um, 
you know, pretty good. I mean, my, my feel, I don't you generally use the super cheap field tips just for that reason. Um, you know, and, and as far as I, I got a bunch of questions, I'm shooting on, on what I have and I, I shoot the aluminum, um, sleeve and I do not use the center pin on, on my system. If I needed to weaken my spine a little bit, I would, I don't have any issue with the center pin. I just, that's where my arrows tuned out, um, was with that, uh, just the the sleeve, and I think that's thirty six grains without the center pin. Is that right? Yeah, it's the the the, the outsert or the collar is thirty five, and then the the center pin is fifteen. Um, so it's fifty combined. And I'll be honest with you, Aaron. You and I have talked about this. The only reason that pin is in there um, is for added strength, and it's really the really the only reason I did it is number one, it's a great way to be able to add 15 grains really easy, uh, you know, just for micro adjusting, you know, uh, the spine. But the other thing is, is that this craze that everybody's gotten into all the kind of third party components and all that people are making, they all have some type of core pin like that. And everybody feels like you need it. Well, with, all the other shafts, you do need it. But as you know, with ours, the wall is so thick and the way we build them, you really don't need that for the extra strength. The, the arrow shaft itself is providing the, you know, the, the extra beef that you need to keep it from breaking. Yeah. And I, I mean, I shot, well, you know, I don't know how many arrows I've shot in the last eight months, but what I've shot a, a bunch of arrows and I've broken three arrows so far and, and one of them was going through the fifth animal and uh i just don't you know and i fire into dirt and uh you know off my my driveway up onto the hillside and you know i don't um if anyone was going to break a bunch of them it certainly you know what would, would have probably been me and and the only reason why that arrow broke um you know, going through the animal as I, I went through on the onside and on the offside, I actually blew his leg off and the arrow went through that. And the last third or so, um, was, you know, in the leg and body. And so when he kicked, it did finally snap that arrow off, which is a testament, um, you know, to the durability. And that was, you know, it was a clean break, but that was after, five animals one of them being that mule deer up in um alberta and i didn't break that arrow i didn't break the arrow going through amazing enough that mule deer in the high country so i i agree 100 percent. i don't worry about the i yeah i i would only put the center pin in for me if i just needed to weaken the spine a little bit um the component wise i don't have any issue and and what's nice um, cause I use the Valkyrie system too, but you're locked into that Valkyrie system, uh, the broadhead. And what's nice, I shot, uh, the two, um, bucks with the iron wheel head. And then I used an XXL on that doe. Um, but it's nice cause you can just, you know, like if you're going to turkey hunt, it is nice not having to worry about the deep six or a, like the center pin system on the Valkyrie, if you're just wanting to shoot a different head, a wider head. Uh, and I, I get that question a bunch just because when people get locked into that, it is tough when you're hunting different animals or certainly can be. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, and it's, and it's funny you mentioned turkeys because one of the questions I get a lot is, is people say, is there any ever an, uh, 
a situation where you would recommend shooting an expandable? And I, my answer has always been no, but here recently it's been yes um, if you want to shoot turkeys. I think expandables would be great for shooting turkeys because um, you could you know you could screw an expandable on for a turkey and you know you're not worried about penetration so. And we we uh, we differ on that one. I don't I don't hate the expandable like like yourself. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, uh, no, you don't. I just I just pull them off your arrows and and throw them away when you bring them down here though. So that is a good point. When they go through an animal, they're pretty much worthless. Um, I'll be the first to admit that they are. Uh, well, it's, you make jokes about it, but he's he's not joking. I don't know how many deer I shot down there with you, but pretty much every one of those broadheads was. They were piled up on your little center post dealy whopper things out on your front porch, um, you know, and yeah. that, that's a lot of broadheads. And and that, you know, every one of those iron wheels I shot, um, including and the XXL, I gave you all the iron wheels because you were going to screw around with 200 grainers. Um, yep. And hell, half of them were still pretty damn sharp. Yeah, what I, what I, what I tell people about the iron wheels is, is that the beauty of those blades aside from the you know the tight tolerances that they're manufactured to which are incredible but the way that he does his edge on his blade basically an iron wheel would be the equivalent of all the other broadheads as far as sharpness after it's gone through an animal like once you shoot an iron wheel through an animal at that point it's about equal with everything else on the market uh it's just they're just so sharp uh, and then even afterwards, it's just as good. So, yeah, I, I've been super impressed with, with that as well. It's kind of a deadly combination. And, and I'll be honest with you, I can't tell you. I would I would bet you that, that at least 50% of every person that has bought arrows or is buying arrows or inquiring about arrows is shooting iron wheel heads. So there must be a correlation with guys that want want and understand a heavy arrow and they want and understand high-end components and and um you know want really good penetration so there's definitely a correlation there between a day six customer and a high wheel customer yeah no for sure well and actually um uh, donnie vincent who um just finally released a movie finally thank you donnie it's only been five years um he's a huge heavy arrow fan and he um i don't know what broadheads he shoots i know he had shot iron wheels but um donnie and i differ on a lot of different things or some different things but the heavy arrow thing is something he and i have talked about in great depth and of of this same opinion I have missed a lot of animals when I shot a really fast, loud bow over the top of them. And I don't miss nearly as much now high because the bow is quieter and the penetration is insane. It's much better. Um, but I, I almost always range everything within outside of, um, you know, 40 yards. Anything inside of 40, this is obviously the compound. I've usually pre-ranged it because I'm already set up, or I guess, and I can get close enough. And uh, Paul Gustafson and I were shooting at the 3D course, was that day before yesterday? Sorry. My, my wife's here. She's listening. Um, and he Hi, is sh- Amy. Hi, Amy. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's the, that's the octave you have to use when you speak to Amy. You have to go real high. <laughs> yeah, it changes when I, when I, I get made fun of because I'm like, 
Hi, baby. How are you? And I get made fun of for that. Uh, but Paul's shooting 238 or 42 feet per second, something like that, with uh, like right out of 500 grain arrow. He's got a little bit shorter draw. And we were talking about the drop, you know, inside of 40 and how, how many people actually have a chance to range inside of 40 when you're on the ground, um, especially for elk. And a lot of times you don't have time to range. And I was talking to him. I'm like, your drops a lot, not as much as you think at 20. You have to be so far off to miss that you need to just practice judging yardage if you met because it's it's got to be 10 yards for you to miss at that distance, even at 240 feet per second. And so, you know, for example, right. you know, he had his sight set on 30 um, and we were shooting uh, and the animal was 30 two yards 34 yards something like 34 and I was like well man at that distance you can tell it's between 30 and 40 and I said so just throw your 30 yard pin in the middle of its lungs worst case scenario you blow the top of its heart out um and, and talking about that with guys where I'm like you know if you really break it down if an animal comes in and you're like good lord is that 25 or 35 well I mean, just kind of guess in the middle and do your best, right? I mean, you're good. That's a big lungs or a big target. And so the speed thing for me is will extra speed help? Of, of course, you know, it's going to help if you misjudge. But will it help that much? Well, when you make a bad shot with a fast arrow, it really doesn't matter. Uh, when Meaning without an, a lot of momentum because you're not yeah. going to kill it anyway. And so... I obviously have a biased opinion because I've had way better luck with either practicing judging or, or you know, some es- estimated guessing that's worked well. And when I have made kind of horseshit shots, it still seals the deal and gets in there where it needs to be, where a lighter arrow will not. And, and I don't know, did you just see that test those guys did where they shot uh, multiple different broadheads with the same bow and were shown the penetration and then had the mechanical? I did not. Oh, the mechanical didn't make it out of the. Yeah, they messaged it to me. I'll have to dig it up, but the 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 mechanical didn't make it through the backside of the target. Um, And I've always I've always talked about that with with what I've shot is they are momentum suckers, and so for you know you talk about kids, women, um, guys get up at age that don't want to pull as much weight back. Obviously, a heavy arrow is a must for them. But I think people would be surprised if they, they get out of that 280 to 300 foot per second, like, mindset and, uh, you know, bump up their arrow weight, and they'll be a lot happier. Well, let me, let, me, let, me talk, let me speak to something you just said there, because when you're talking about, you know, judging distance and 0 to 30, this, I want to say one thing about how I've always hunted, and then also as far as youth, kids. Uh, you know, lighter pounded shooters. Um, you've seen my setup. I have one crosshair on my compound rig. I've always shot a single pin for 35 years. It's always been a single pin. And I basically have my basically pin sighted in at 25. And so I know that I'm about four high at 15 at about 265 feet per second. I'm about four high at 15, and I'm about four low at 30. So basically, it's almost like sighting in a rifle to where zero to, to 250, you're on, you know? So, and at 300, you're a shade low. Well, if my delta 
is plus or minus four inches. It's very easy for me to know whether the deer is inside of 25 or outside of 25. (laughs) Yeah. um, and And you take all this confusion out because I'll tell you, if you're trying to range whitetails inside of 30, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, I you know, concur. You need, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You need to be drawn sometimes before you even see them. So, and then after that 30 yard threshold, that is the, the, the time where you have, you know, the, the point where you have time to range and you have time to pull your range finder out and say, okay, he's 42. Then you can take, you know, like my site, then I can turn it up to 40 or 42. But from zero to 30, it never moves. It never gets touched. It's a basically drawback, hold a little high, hold a little low, depending on whether they're closer or farther, and you just run an arrow through them. And you're, you're taking your brain out of the equation. So I wanted to say that as that relates to kids, especially I've had so many guys call me about getting our 500s set up for their kids. And they talk about, well, you know, I'm afraid of the drop from, you know, the 20 to 30 pins. So this is what I'm telling guys, and this is the way I set my boys up. I have never put more than one pin on a kid's bow. There, in my opinion, there's never a reason to put more than one pin on a kid's bow. To me, you want to set up a heavy arrow for a child, heavier than eight grains per pound. You want to be more like in the 10 grains per pound because they're not going to shoot far, and you need the momentum momentum to actually penetrate with super low poundage. So, you know, go into that 10 grains per pound range and then sight your child's bow in with one pin at 15 yards to where he's a shade low at 20 and a shade high at 10. And that should be the range for, when I'm talking about a child, I'm talking about, you know, a 10, 11, 12 year old, you know, a, a kid that's really wanting to kill their first animal with a bow. If you take a kid's bow and put three pins on it, it's never going to happen for them. You need to take all that out of an equation and just get them within 20 yards and let them put one pin on it, keep it simple, and shoot a super heavy arrow so they can get into the vitals. You're going to see a lot more successful young people with a setup like that than what you get when you're trying to mirror what dad has. Oh, yeah. And I would, I mean, up to a point, I agree with you anyway. Like with Kaylee, I set up five pins because I knew she wasn't going to hunt for a while. And she wanted yeah. to shoot 3Ds. And yeah, well, I'm just talking about for hunting. You, you know, I'm never talking about phones. Exactly. But just because yeah. I'm used to the internet and I know people are going to message us, I'm going to go ahead yeah. and dive into the part where people will message us because we left it out. So with Kaylee, <laughs> what I wanted her to do, because I wanted her to work on accuracy, building it outward, meaning I wanted her to shoot 40, not 50 so much, but 40 a lot. And so 20 felt like a chip shot. But, you know, when I talked to her about this, because her arrow's really light, and, I, and Amy's the same way, um, you know, I, when we talk about hunting, I was like, well, we're probably going to bump your arrow up significantly in weight, shoot a cut-on-contact cut head. And I'm like, and you're probably just going to have one pin And if you're super comfortable with that, maybe we'll go to two or three. But for the most part, she's not going to, you know, 40 uh, with that heavy of an arrow is a poke. Um, With, in context, you know, 50-pound draw uh, at a 26-inch draw length or, uh, you know, 50-pound draw weight with a 26-inch draw length, that thing is arcing out there. And not saying it's not doable, it's just 
now that I've shot the stick so much, there, there isn't any reason we can't get to, you know, 30 yards, 35 with a little extra effort. And, and, you know, if you have a 25 yard pin, I can just say, Hey, put it on its back. Like kind of like I do with my point on. So I agree with you, you know, there, yeah. I, that's where the, 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 that's where shit rolls downhill is where people really get wrapped up into, I need a 60, 70 and 80 yard pin. And by all means, I am not criticizing. Cause as you know, I was a different man, four years ago. I mean, I wouldn't blink an eye and drop a doe at 80 yards or, or whatever, where now, you know, I'm like, Hey, let's get a little closer. It's, it's, it's a different mindset, but it's still very, very lethal. You do not have to shoot far. Uh, it's hard to wrap your head around that, but you don't have to. <laughs> and you've been doing a long yeah. time. Yeah. And you know, it, it, and it, and I understand the concept behind having your bow sighted out that far because a follow-up shot on a big game animal like an elk or a moose or anything like that, to me, follow-up shots are super critical on extremely large game. Um, you know, uh, my philosophy is always if they are within any kind of range that you're practiced at, you need to be getting follow-up arrows and super, you know, large animals. And so I understand the need for it, but the, the primary shot is where I've always said, and there's really no reason to not just try to get closer. But, you know, to, to kind of wrap up the arrow stuff, because I know we need to talk about our how fun our hunt was, um, the main thing that I'm getting out of this is, is um, just crazy, overwhelming satisfaction because um, of the interactions I'm getting with hunters that are now becoming successful. Last night I was sitting in a tree stand uh, about 15 minutes before dark, and one of my very first customers uh, called me, and I had his number in there. His name's Bobby Dye. He's out of uh, Mississippi. And when I talked with him originally, he was shooting a light arrow fast and a rage broadhead, uh, and he lost a, a big animal last year, just didn't get any penetration at all uh, on a shoulder shot. He called me last night, uh, literally right before dark, and I went ahead and answered Um and he was in the field. He was right out there where you and I uh, antelope hunted out in that country. He's mm-hmm. the guy I was telling you about. Yep. He was standing over his first mule deer buck, archer mule deer buck, and he was just beside himself and was just saying, you know, thank you for, you know, getting me set up and, and talking this through with me. You know, I just took my first archery mule deer buck and I shot him basically quartering to basically facing head on a frontal and he said it went completely end to end and came out the back end and the deer didn't go anywhere he said i am a believer and he sent me a great picture which i'm gonna put up uh, today but that is the satisfying part of this for me it is those stories coming back and seeing this movement of heavy errors where people are understanding not only is it a benefit for penetration, but their shooting and accuracy is becoming so much better because it's not a volatile setup anymore. It's a more stable, forgiving setup. And that's, you know, people, man, I'm telling you, people are, are starting to buy in. I mean, our, our job is getting easier for sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, to me, I mean, every day with shooting the recurve is a learning day for me. Like, I mean, especially when you start putting more holes in animals. And I, I've had good success with, uh, 
you know, the stick, but nothing compared to what I had with the compound. I just haven't done it as long. And so I'm not, when I'm blowing through animals with that recurve and then I by chance catch an outdoor show and they're shooting something with a compound and it's not going through and I'm like, Jesus, what, you know, can I call that guy and ask him what his setup is just for my own general curiosity? Like, how are you not zipping through these things? Um, One's mechanicals, two's light arrows. You know, the poundage, you know, you can have fairly light poundage and just shoot a cone on contact and zip right through something. Obviously, the recurves prove that, um, you know, if you got a heavy enough arrow. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I'm glad, too, because I've always shot super heavy arrows and pound. Well, not always. Long time. Um, yeah. And I, I hear guys and, and Henry and I talk all the time. We give each other crap. Henry shoots a light arrow. And I always tell him, you know, man, it works until it doesn't. And... I've got a, a buddy that I'll get on the podcast. This year was the, the year it didn't work. He shot an easily 200-plus-inch mule deer, and he got four inches of penetration. Just wasn't a perfect shot, and I guarantee where he hit that thing with a heavy arrow, guaranteed he would have ripped right through it. And he was shooting a Rage Tripan, so kind of a momentum sucker, and a 410-grain yep. arrow, you know, reverse, you know, pump the brakes and throw a 525, 550 on there with a cut on contact, he would have had an in and out. Um, you know, he would have zipped right through that. And you saw the penetration I got on the neck of that big buck of mine. It went all the way oh, through yeah. and clipped bone with a recurve. Yeah. And, and I hit yeah. vertebrae. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, you know, the, the last buck you shot is the, is the only deer that we didn't get complete pass-throughs on. But you actually went through... <laughs> both shoulders and the leg the only part and the legs and the only part that was left in that buck was the fletching and like nine you know nine inches of shaft with the fletching on it yeah the head and you know 75 percent arrow was sticking out the other side so you know it's a testament because these dadgum stick bows i mean they don't generate squat for speed and you're thinking you know as you come from the compound world man there's no way this is going to work but it does because you're basically swinging the pendulum the other way with the weight. Well, we so skin these uh, deer out in the garage because the process are so busy. We had they don't skin them here, and so when we were skinning them, I I forgot I had put that one through the shoulder because its onside leg was I shot it walking. It, it was back, and I was yeah. like, Jesus, which deer is this? Because you could see, you know, when I was skinning it, the leg was forward and there was a hole in the pocket. But then as I brought the leg back, the holes lined up and I went dead through the scapula. And then on the other side, the leg was broken in half. So once I got the hide off, I was like, wow, that is insane. Because my I had, you know, an iron wheel hole going through the leg on the opposite side. And, you know, I mean, that was close. I mean, I don't know what that was, eight yards, five yards. It was pretty damn close, but still, I mean, pretty amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, let's yeah. let's let's talk yeah. about the hunt now that we're kind of getting on that subject. Yeah, well, first off, you know, we have, we have uh, a ranch, our main ranch that we hunt out there, and I have partners on that ranch. And then we have some, you know, ancillary properties that the same family has. And then we also have some friends that have some properties around it. But primarily the main big ranch is where we do most of our hunting. And, you know, you and I were coming in about four days after my uncle and cousin uh, were out there. And, uh, man, they just, 
in in four days they just went complete basically Snyder and blacked out and shot four bucks in four days and they were tanks. <laughs> so um I mean they just literally blacked out and just went complete ham sauce and, and had a trip of a lifetime. And so when you and I get out there there's four, you know, just stud bucks laid up on the old, you know, uh granite slab that's out there in the yard and you know, and I have, you know, uh, uh, had a couple more of our partners that were going to be coming in Friday after Thanksgiving, like after you and I. So I was like, man, you know, I, I, I wanted to, you know, I always am conscious of my, my partners and I wanted to make sure they had a good hunt when they came. And so, you know, after those guys had already shot four bucks in four days, I was thinking, man, so... I was like, okay, well, we're going to hunt some of these other places. We're going to hunt this West Ranch, and we're going to hunt some of these other little smaller pieces. So where normally you and I would roll in, and there's, you know, 12 cameras out, stand set up. We know where they all are. We basically were starting from Jump Street, <laughs> having to go find them, figure them out, and, and get stands in place and figure out where some good deer were. Fortunately, it didn't take long, and I think it was the – Maybe the third day, um, you know, you killed your first buck. And that was one of the bucks that, you know, once we saw him, we knew we wanted to try to get. He was a, you know, old mature 10 point. And, uh, and it was in a place to where, man, I mean, that place is made for a recurve for sure. What do you think? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, people ask me for advice on whitetail hunting and, and the best advice I can give them because I have shot several is do what you're told because I am, no means a whitetail hunter by I mean no stretch of the imagination but I can be quiet when I have to and I can do my best at sitting still but the best thing to do is when I'm like hey Brian should I call and in Alabama you're like hell no don't touch a call just sit there and then here you were like hey the snort wheeze down here's money in the bank you know don't be afraid if you if you got one you're trying to get into snort wheeze you know, and, and listening to the guidance you had, which is how I called that that buck in that I that I killed. Now, I did miss one um, the day before that <laughs> um, that that I snort wheezed oh, in. Yeah, I forgot about. It. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I forgot about the warm up shot. Well, you know that that's a good uh, you know the ranging thing. <laughs> I I chose not to grab the rangefinder. I didn't have enough time, and. Uh, that was one of those, I pro, I may have had enough time, I, you know, I, I wasn't 100% sure, and I had pre-ranged everything but that spot, and I don't know, what do you think that, that buck scored? I mean, we had, we think we had him on the one trail camera the night before. Um, he's a big eight when point. You yeah. Oh, yeah, he was, uh, well, I mean, you know, eight points don't score well, but that would have been a 150-inch eight point easy. I mean, he was a brute, and... uh and it would have been great because if you would have killed that buck, then I would have gone into the spot where you killed your buck the next day, uh, and I would have got to kill him. Well, I screwed but that you screwed up. up. You screwed up the whole deal. So, oh. Well, that buck, man, <laughs> I, I snort wheezed, and he came straight through parallel to me, but kind of, I guess parallel, but kind of going away. And I grunted at him in the hole that I had to shoot, and I thought, man, he's in a tunnel. He probably looks farther than he is. And I, I've got like a 41-yard point on, and I put my broadhead just under the pocket, 
and I hit just under the pocket. And I thought, man, I didn't need to range that. I know how far that is and kind of shit on my dreams and ran off 100 yards and stood out there. And he actually kept kind of rutting up when he was out there. And then, um, you know, the next day when I went and sat down in the hole, um, you know, that that buck ran. It was kind of slow because rifle season had kicked off. Um, and there was a full day of rifle, wasn't it? It was the second day, second day of rifle, I think, in the full moon. Um, So mornings weren't, you know, probably the best. The evenings were a little better, but that buck ran by chasing a doe, and I grunted. And when I did that, my bow was still hanging on the tree, and, and I, you know, not really knowing exactly what to do. I'm like, well... Roderick said to snort wheeze. So I snort wheezed with my mouth, which usually I have that Primos tube thingy dingy that's got the little bugle thing on it. And uh, I didn't have that and did it with my mouth. And man, chew spit flew everywhere. There was chew all over my face uh, because I was (laughs) shitting my pants too. But he came, he stopped on a dime and he started, he trotted straight to me. And when he got about 20 yards out, luckily I had the, you know, wherewithal to grab my bow uh, before he came in close because he was I don't know what that is probably 60 yards maybe from me where I stopped him and uh, oh yeah. yeah when he came in I had my bow and uh, in my hand and he went from a trot to kind of I don't know what you call it posturing up like kind of that badass walk where he's kind of like muscled up and his hair was all you know, yeah, sticking up. Oh man. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep my shit together. Um, cause I could see it was a big, I mean, when I looked at it, I'm like, man, that thing looks like it's got 25 inch main beams, which it, they might be longer. Um, I think they're longer. Yeah. I just, you know, and I don't, all I knew was it was big bodied and old and he came through and passed me and I shot him kind of walking and, and I had learned, you know, I say this, uh, in in my like the heartbreaking about into my traditional archery career in 16 when I was like man I had stopped a buck same situation and it made him super alert and when I shot he he muscled up and and kind of you know like crouched or whatever and I hit him in the shoulder because he kind of hunched back and I didn't want to stop him and so when I shot I hit like it looked like high liver and lung um and I texted you, you know, and he ran off maybe 40 yards and kind of walked around and I could see him coughing up blood. And I, I texted you and then you, what, what, what happened when I texted you, what were you thinking? Cause I remember you said, don't push him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I could see the picture in my head immediately that you were going to get down and go walking over there. And, um, cause I, I know how you operate now. And so, I said, do not move, do not get down, do not go push that buck. You're literally 100 yards from the river. And I have lost too many deer in that river, you know, uh, and I've learned those lessons the hard way. And so um, I said, I'm on the way. And then about an hour later, you called me and you said, oh, he's nice. I said, did you find him? He's like, oh, yeah, he was right here. I found him. So I left out the part on the second shot initially. I didn't tell you that. (laughs) Well, you lasted about, I would say, about 30 to 45 minutes. 45. And then you heard yep. 45. You heard him cough, and he thought, well, that's it. And he walked over there, but he was still alive. <laughs> well, so he, I heard him kind of, you know, like the death moan. 
And I was going to call you and I'm like, no, because he's going to tell me to sit here and I'm not going to be able to. I'll climb down and go super (laughs) slow and sneaky. And I got up to where I had taken actually a photo um, where he was standing to make sure, you know, you always remember what you want to and forget the important stuff. So I took a picture and, and there was blood where he coughed up lung blood. And then I was following his tracks, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to stay right on his tracks because I might push him. I'm going to circle out and around, see if I can see him, because I know where that noise came from. If I can't see him, I'm going to go back. When I circled around, a forky stood up and took off from left to right in front of me, and then my buck stood up, and I about shit my pants um, because I was like, (laughs) oh, he's not dead. And I can – the river's right there. I mean – you can see yeah, it right there. And yeah. uh, he stood up and he wasn't looking at me and you could, he was hurting. Like, I don't even know if he could still walk or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know yeah. what state he was in, but that grass is so freaking tall. The only thing I could see was his neck. And I thought, well, I can put it in his neck at 20 or whatever it was. It was somewhere in there. And, and that's what I did. I, I just put one right in his neck and dropped him. And then called you because I was like, I'm glad that worked out like it did. That could have been bad. Because if I was an inch farther back, it would have been nick and lung and no liver probably. Yeah. And uh, and when you got him up that time, he would have he would have been gone. So I, it's happened too many times to me on that river, unfortunately. And, you know, the good thing is, is we've got, some, you know, great neighbors across the river that are so accommodating, you know, to allow us to go to go look but it's just a freaking goat rope and having to wait across that river and then get one back across. And I just, you know, it's a disaster. So it worked out good. And of course, you know, uh, the excitement was soon diminished by the fact we had to drag that giant thing up those sand hills out of that river bottom. (laughs) A few few breathers were taken and then, uh, uh, and of course, once we got into the truck and and started headed back, I mean, I think you lasted about maybe five, six minutes when you said, "So, how many does can I shoot?" And uh, <laughs> can I shoot another five? So that lasted about five minutes. Oh yeah, and luckily we had enough people with different properties and everything else that they were, you know, it was cool because I kept to I got to keep hunting. Um, and you, you now you were looking for a, a giant, which was, um, you know, or maybe not necessarily a giant, but an old mature buck that was, you know, obviously in that one fifty plus range. And so, yeah, you, yeah, I was looking for a giant. For you're, you're right. I mean, that's that's what I'm always looking for out there. Yeah, and I, and I was not. Um, I was looking to follow the rules, which were uh, shoot what you tell me. Um, and then we went out. And you said in this one stand, you said, uh, man, I saw, you sat at the night before, you said, I saw a doe that was at least 150 to 170 pounds or something, you know. It was like a 150 pound doe, yeah. Yeah, I said, you know, shoot, I said, well, if I see here, I'm going to shoot that one. And uh, sure enough, that one came out that night and I shot that one at, I don't know, close, whatever, whatever it was, 18 yards or something. It's amazing how tough those animals, because I shot that one with an XXL with a grizzly stick, um, that big wide, I don't know, what is that thing, two inches wide? Uh, excuse me, two inches yeah, wide? That's, uh, that's that's grizzly sticks, uh, what is it called? It's not the XXL, it's the... Um, it's a silver flame XXL, I the think. The silver flame, 
yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. 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 But man, you get that deer perfect and it ran 200 yards. You know, what was crazy is I, I hit that thing and it looped out, went through the wood line and I thought, okay, it's got to be down, you know, over there. So I waited cause I had bucks under me, um, smaller ones and, and some other does. And I waited until dark and, uh, I, you know, I just walked down the kind of the, it's kind of sandy there until I found the, the blood. I didn't start from where I hit it. I just walked in a straight line, kind of following that wood line. And I hit a massive blood trail and I, I followed it, found the deer, drug it to the road, went back and that thing bled the whole way. I mean, I double lunged it and it still ran 200 yards. It was insane. That was the super nag. That was a, there was no mistake in her when she came out. That thing was gigantic. Oh yeah. Now that thing weighed a hundred and what did they tell me? Man, I have to ask them with no skin on it. Uh, you know, no legs, no skin hanging. It was still a hundred and some pounds. Yeah. That thing was gigantic. She came out the night before and, and, uh, I was, you know, it was kind of a new spot. So I wasn't sure, you know, what, what bucks were in there. So I didn't want to shoot her. Um, but I knew somebody that would happily do so. So, um, yeah, that worked out good. And, uh, and then, um, we saw, uh, saw a few bucks on some new stuff we went and looked at on somebody else's, uh, another piece there. And, and there was a pretty good eight point, uh, coming into this spot and it's like, man, you ought to go hunt there, Aaron. Now you didn't shoot that eight point. You shot a different eight point. I may, um, I may have panicked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you were there about 30 minutes and you like, okay, I think I killed that big eight point. I'm like, eh. <laughs> that didn't take long. <laughs> oh, it was funny. Cause you texted me, I sent a photo and you're like, no, I don't think so. And then you texted me. I hope that big eight point comes in and shits on your dreams the rest of the night. Uh, yeah. I was oh. hoping he would come in and like lay in front of you and bed down and, you know, breed a few does in front of you and, just torture you for you know not being able to hold your shit together well i tell you the the night before that um i was in that stand and that big there was a two by three that came out that must have weighed 250 300 pounds and it it kicked the shit out of a five point and had a bunch of does i couldn't get them to come in i had a buck come in that wasn't for eastern guys uh a two by three is a five point and a five point is a 10 point carry my bad i i know i still haven't got <laughs> but i was like man i hope that thing comes in i'll shoot that that's like a good snyder buck right there and it didn't come in but some other bucks did and it was just with some of the coolest well it was the coolest rutting activity i've ever seen in my life until the last night when i shot that four point or eight point um you know, because I you do I don't get to hear snort wheezing and grunting and and breeding. I don't you don't I don't see that out here for whitetails as much. And you know I'm I watch that thing breed two does, beat the hell out of every buck around it, and it was amazing. But then I went into that other stand um, that had that big eight point in it, and I just just talk about blind shit house luck. The property. Uh, I don't know if we had permission on the property I could see or not, but I, a, a hot doe jumped that fence, and, man, it had every swinging Richard in town chasing that thing. And <laughs> there was bucks running all over around me, and 
I, it, here's where I got screwed up, and 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 well, that and I like to shoot. I think that eight point that I or the eight point I shot, which I thought was the other eight point, was fighting with a ten point, and the ten point was young, um, and I could hear a buck breeding what I think breeding a doe. It had that long kind of grunt, but I couldn't yeah. see it. And all this is going on, and I'm trying to hold my shit together because I'm like. Hopefully, you know, that I'm going to be able to shoot this eight point. And, man, they came running through that doe, and they were circling in the, the you know, had all those leaves on the ground below me. And, man, that thing came through at four or five yards, and I was sure that was the buck. And I pinwheeled him. And, you know, when I hit him, I was, like, expecting a 30, 40-yard recovery. How far do you think that thing ran? He, he uh he stretched it out probably 200 yards i'd say with maybe th- even more with three legs and yeah. and it blood the whole yeah. way i was like what the it was it was crazy how tough those are um but then i you know that thing i saw where i thought it fell i got out of the stand went over there took a photo to confirm if it was wrong or not and then you started making fun of me i ran back got in the stand and then began to unload my entire quiver on coyotes does <laughs> everything <laughs> i shot my calf twice um on the same doe i hit my calf muscle with the limb tip sweet baby jesus that hurt the first time i did it i mean the doe didn't really know what was going on because there were still bucks running them and so the second shot it was standing in the same place i even looked down to make sure my calf was out of the way wrong did it again. I still have a bruise there. Like Charlie horsed me. It, it was a interesting evening after that. Well, you know you're you know your your uh, danger close when you're hitting your your calf with your limb tip. Oh man, it was like straight down and kind of back behind me. So I kind of yeah. have my leg on the seat. It, it was not a good combo. Um, you know, have, and you, it, have you ever, have you ever seen just the sheer amount of buck? and sheer amount of just rut activity like you saw last week though no no and that you know including kansas and nebraska not i mean not like that and it's it's pretty wild because you do not know what's going to run in front of you when i was running back from shooting that one literally on a trot trying to get back in the tree stand a, a freaking forked horn pushed a doe full speed five yards from me almost ran me over so I got down and was just ready to see what else came by, and he ran her around in circles. And when I'm climbing in the tree stand, I can't see what's going on, and I see all these bucks and does standing up in the grass as he's running her around. And then that yeah. just got that got shit going, and that's how all those deer ended up in front of me. Is that little forked horn pissed off everybody in town, whether it woke him up from a nap or or that doe was hot or a little bit of everything? And man, the world just erupted after that. I mean everything started coming in it was wild well that's you know that's why all of your i don't know what you'd call it but famous or more known whitetail hunters that's why they're all from the midwest because those deer out there they just go i mean they all rode the short bus when it comes to being knowing that they're supposed to act like a whitetail because when the rut hits they just lose their mind you know, I mean, you take a guy from the south that has to hunt these cracked out things and you put a, a southern guy out there with these, these, you know, just wackadoodle dodo 
bucks that just lose their mind and forget that they're supposed to be wary. It's just, it, I mean, it's just, it's a different world. There's nothing to it. I mean, it's really a matter of how long can you hold out until a giant comes by? Well, you, you know, I have my face painted and you were like, uh, nice face paint, asshole. I'm sure you're, I can assure you, you are only doing that for the gram because you do not need it. They don't look up. <laughs> yeah. they, the deer, in no. Alabama, they come in looking up. Like they don't even look down. We're here. No. Yeah, they didn't, no. I didn't, I didn't wear it after you said that because I'm like, well, if I don't have to put this shit on my face, I'm certainly not going to. <laughs> well, when the old man made fun of you at the cafe. <laughs> I think that wrapped it up. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, he yeah. Said, what are you doing? He said, "You hunting sandhill cranes?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Oh, speaking <laughs> sandhill cranes. Good Lord Almighty, hundreds of them flying over. I'd never seen that many sandhill cranes. And between those and sand spurs, uh, well, I those I, sand spurs are horrible. Yeah, there was uh, a few times I was way too close to your butt crack region pulling sand spurs off of you. I was not comfortable with that at all. Oh, I, I told Amy, you were like, man, your crack is full. This is super awkward. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. The, know, it was the first day Aaron throws his, his uh, jacket out of the tree stand when he's getting down. Uh, rookie he mistake. Down and, oh, my God. <laughs> That jacket was done for the rest of the trip. <laughs> oh, it was a fleece jacket. And, uh, yeah, I chunked it off. And uh, my puffy. And uh, even the puffy jacket, which shouldn't shouldn't be collecting sand spurs, collected about $4 million. And but, uh, but, yeah, so here's the funny thing. When I shot that second buck, um, when you got out to me, you didn't tell me you shot one. And so no. <laughs> I... I uh, you know, we were talking about my deer, and I look back, and I see a horn, and I'm like, you son of a bitch, you shot one? You were like, well, I couldn't let you have all the fun. And you, and you're the buck yeah. you shot was a, a damn good buck. I mean, obviously, yeah. you're looking for giants, but that buck was still close to 150, I would think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. If he wouldn't have been broke up, he would have been 150 easy. But, yeah, well, you know, I guess we were there three days, and I was, you know, all the places we were hunting, I was starting to kind of get the picture that, there really wasn't just that giant that I was looking for. And so you had pulled my Bushman out of the truck and you were shooting it at lunch every day out in the yard, my, my recurve. And so I'd been hoping my compound all week. And, uh, so I grabbed that thing and, and shot it and, um, thought, man, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to put, you know, put this thing together and, you know, I shot some broadheads and, you know, shooting fine. So, uh, said, I'll just, you know, hunt with this the rest of the trip. Maybe I can get a decent buck with it. And so that was the first night I took it out. And uh, no, the second night, that was the second night, second day I took it out and, uh, got lucky and had one come in at 25, which is the outside end of my range. Um, and I thought he was more broadside than he was. He was quartering to me a little bit more. I hit him perfect, but I didn't realize how much he was quartering to me because it was kind of late. But, um, you know, it zipped right through him and, and he ran out maybe 30 or 40 yards and just fell over and was done, you know, and I thought, huh, that was perfect double long. And then when I got there, I got one long, but I must've got a bunch of other goodies going backwards because it went out towards the back. But man, the way he was hit, you would have thought perfect, you know, but he didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And my, mine, I pinwheeled and it ran 
like Eddie, <laughs> Eddie Macon's run. That thing ran to freaking Mexico. It was crazy. But, yeah, well, my choice was I could either come get you, get your deer, and then bring you back to where I was hunting and lift the deer up into the back of the truck. And then I thought, well, no, it won't be as funny if I can just <laughs> if I can figure out how to get it in the back of the truck by myself and then just kind of lay it down so when Aaron lay, lays the tailgate down to put his in, he sees this one. And I really shot it because it was so much bigger than what you killed. I wanted to shame you for shooting that thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's really what drove me to do it. But I about broke my back getting that damn thing in the back of the truck by myself. But um, <laughs> I pulled I pulled the last little bit of strength I had left and got him up there. But, yeah, it was fun, man. I, I uh, uh, It felt good to grab that recurve and go out there and plunk one. Um because I've really been focusing on getting back to a compound this year only because 95% of my customers are compound guys. And I really felt like I needed to be dialed in on, you know, the modern gear, what everybody's using, because it's hard for me to say, man, I don't know. I shoot a recurve that, that is not going to fly. So, um, but I'm glad I got to get it out and hunt with it some and got to be successful. So it was fun. Yeah, that bow is super fast. I shot it a ton. Um, that uh, I because th- it's it's Bushman bows who makes it, but it's your special sauce or or what you wanted. And uh, yeah. the only the only problem well, because I was going to actually go kill something with it is uh, we didn't have arrow. Uh, well, I guess we have a fletching jig. We could have built some, but that bow's got so much ass behind it. Um, my arrows that I have for the widow tear a little bit weak. Um, well, not probably more than a little, a lot weak, but it's super fast. So I could actually probably bump up 30, 40, 50 grains pretty easy um, on my setup and, and shoot that thing and still get probably the same speed. Uh, it's just that. Yeah, probably, that fast. Uh, probably go up to the 300 spine, you know, and pick up 30 or 40 grains and it'd be exactly the same what you're shooting, you know, with a little heavier arrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that bow. It's a good looking bow. It shoots good. I. Uh, it's funny because I was pinwheeling the top right corner of the target um, consistently close enough, but it was so close to the edge, I probably should have stopped because eventually I did whiff one off the top corner and it bounced about 180 yards behind the damn target. But I was. It was grouping good. It was just. It was grouping weak for one and, and tearing weak. But those arrows, I'm right yeah. on the border now anyway of being too weak. Uh, a spine to begin with. So I'm, I'm, I'm cutting that edge of maybe I should shoot three hundreds to begin with. Yeah. Well, with that bow, you definitely have to, just cause it generates a little more, um, just a little more energy in its limbs, you know, and man, I hadn't shot. I was embarrassed cause I mean, I had just have, I have not had time to shoot. And, and that's one thing I'll say. I, I understand being a diehard trad guy. I've been a trad guy a long, long time, but there's been years to where, life has gotten in the way and I don't have time. You know, when you leave it, leave before daylight, you don't get home till eight or nine o'clock every day and you don't have time to shoot your trad bow, man, just because you want to be a trad guy and you want to be a trad hunter, if you can't shoot your bow a lot, you know, you, you might, you might want to use your compound those years. I mean, it's just, you know, just, just saying I'm a, I'm a, you know, through and through trad guy if you don't have time to put in the effort like you do, Aaron, or at least shoot it a few times a week, it's hard to be proficient with it, you know? And man, I hadn't shot that thing in weeks. 
I mean, probably three or four weeks, you know. So I was surprised at, you know, picking it up and zinging them in there. And uh, so I felt confident enough to, you know, to shoot because it just, I don't know, it just, I shoot that bow well. Um, I, I guess it just hits where I'm aim looking, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no, you do. You do. You shoot it really good. And, and I will, on, on my end, one thing I am, and you've told me this a lot, and it's true, like the point on thing or like I need to get where I'm just gripping and ripping, not necessarily not pulling through my clicker, but where I'm just shooting straight instinctual, you know, close up where it's going to bite me in the ass in the long run, which in the high country it did a couple of times. And I felt I worked on that a ton since I talked to you on my you know, high country hunt. And, and I, I felt a lot better about it out of the tree stand where, you know, I was just letting them go just instinctual and, and not looking at my point at all, getting that out of my mind and just letting her rip. And, and I was a lot happier about that with myself. Cause I get that question a lot from guys as far as my, you know, my aiming method or whatever. And, and, I and mean, I think everybody's obviously different. You you just shoot and you've shot so much you hit where you're aiming from just shooting. You know, I, I kinda shoot instinctually out to a certain distance and I use my you know, my point on and, and I think everybody'll kinda write their own chapter in their book once they figure out what they want to do. But I tell you you get to that sub thirty yard range and I start looking at my point and sight picture, shit goes downhill quick. Yeah, well the the thing is is like zero to twenty is where the bulk of your shots are gonna be made for a whitetail hunter. And you've got to be able to be an instinctive shooter there. You don't have time to do all those things. The other thing is is that if you're that guy that's always using your point as a reference and you're doing that on your targets consistently, and then you have a deer that is partially blocked by a tree or he's in that, you know, belly high or mid-body high CRP grass like we were in last week, and you don't have that reference that you're normally used to seeing with your sight picture, you're screwed. So that zero to 20, you have got to be more of an instinctual guy. When I say instinctual, everybody's a gap shooter, whether they like it or not. Your brain is processing a mental picture. Your brain is, is, is got this snapshot of this is what it looks like when it hits the target. And it's subconsciously doing that for you. You're, you're gap shooting, whether you like it or not. You can say you're an instinctive guy all you want, it's a mental sight picture. And so, but with you, you know, you were so focused on where that point was all the time. You know, like when you got on that mule deer this year and the deer was partially blocked by a rise, like a hump, you had no idea where to, you know what I'm saying? You, your, your brain started recalculating in the middle of the shot sequence because there wasn't that picture anymore of the deer's feet, legs, and all that and it's, that's where you got to go instinctual you know oh it totally screwed me because i i initially if i would have kept my brain out of it probably would have smoked it drew back had the sight picture and right when i hit my anchor i glanced down and in, in my you know my points way into the dirt and what happened is i started second guessing you know my brain got in the way and yeah you know i mean like i said i learn you know uh, generally the hard way but you're learning things every time you you know, you go out normally and, and, you know, I really, when I got back from that high country hunt, I really worked on just shooting between, you know, 14, I didn't shoot much closer than that, but 14 and 28, just shooting, just letting it rip off a sight picture. Cause I, I about missed that buck in Alberta. Um, you know, I shot low. I, I mean, 
if you look at it or, you know, whatever, I mean, you know it's bad when you get to 22 yards and you think, Jesus, this is the worst range for me. I need to get closer. And that's where I was. Like, I was hoping it'd be 32 to 40. Um, And I scooted closer because I could. And I thought, well, the closer I get now, the better chance I've gotten. And so I really, like, have been buckling down to try to, to just shoot instinctually. And I was super, I mean... I missed some, you know, but I mean, I'm super happy with, you know, me shooting out of that tree stand and not screwing up too bad in comparison when I grabbed the recurve again for the first time down in Alabama. I didn't know my ass from a hole again. That was a rough week with you in February. I mean, I killed a buck and some does, but good lordy, that was tough. That was a shit, that was a shit show. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> Real bad. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a shit show. Yeah, yeah. We 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 spent as many time we spent as much time hunting trad flags as we did places to hunt. Oh Lord! Well, and you know, I I uh, with all this, I mean, because you know, shooting wise, like um, targets, like I can shoot and and post some high scores, and I can stand back at my point on, but that doesn't really mean shit in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it means I have a consistent release. I mean, it's not. It doesn't mean nothing, but in the in the grand scheme of things, of putting on the animals on the ground, it does not right. mean as much as it w- does actually getting in the field and <laughs> and letting letting the arrows fly. Because I, I I would much rather tear it up in the woods than tear it up on the 3D course, you know. And and I'm trying to get yeah. to where I can do equal both of them equally. Well, I will say I've told you this that that the amount of time and practice that you put into shooting that bow is amazing. And I can honestly say that I've never seen anybody shoot uh, a trad bow on targets as well as you do, as consistently as you do. I, I really feel like if you ever decided you wanted to be a, a tournament archer or, or a, you know, competition archer that you would immediately, ex, you know, uh, go right to the front. I really think that I've seen a lot of guys shoot over the years and, you know, and you and I talked about this, you know, there's a lot of hand-eye coordination involved in shooting a trad bow, and some people naturally have it. Uh, guys that were good athletes, you know, good at baseball and things like that, good with hand-eye coordination, they naturally have it and it comes easy, and they're going to just naturally be better shots. And I hate to say this, but there's some people that just shouldn't even be shooting a trad bow. I mean, if you struck out at T-ball, you probably shouldn't be shooting a trad bow. I mean, it's it, there's just some people that are just not, their brain and their muscles just don't work together. And it's not anything bad. It's just they're not meant to do it. Yeah, I've seen guys I, I can't play for golf. 20 years. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so, you know, there's some guys that really need to – you know, evaluate where they're at. And just because they want to be a trad hunter doesn't mean that they were meant to be one. And I know that's a horrible thing to say, but it's a very truthful thing to say. And I think that if people will get over kind of the pride thing and say, man, I'm going to be a lot more successful, have a lot less frustration with a compound, they're probably going to, you know, have a lot more success. And then there's some guys that I've seen them that they – they have zero hand-eye coordination, but they have put in so much work to establish a proper sight window and a good gap at like 20 that they just limit themselves that I'm going to shoot deer at 20 yards and in. That's it. I know my limitations. 
And they're successful that way just because they put in the work and they know how to make it happen. So everybody's got to find their place when it comes to shooting a trad bow. It, you know, some people can just pick one up and shoot it. And then other people are going to have to put thousands and thousands of arrows down range to have very limited success. So I think people really need to evaluate where they're at with it. No, I, I agree. And, and I get, um, you know, the, a lot of questions on, you know, and I'm answering these questions, not knowing the, you know, the person at all, but you know, the, the, the key things, one, if you can get, we obviously get your bow set up, right. But if you can get a coach, is going to be a huge part of it or, or a buddy or whoever can help you out. And then being able to put the, the time in, you know, if you can donate the time into shooting one, um, let's say you're, you, you are the guy that batted ninth and maybe shouldn't be shooting a, a recurve or a longbow, but that's what you want to do. You probably can get to a point with enough practice where, like you say, 20, 25 yards isn't out of the question. There, there may be a learning curve that looks like Everest, but I mean, you, you, you know, you, you, you may be able to do it if you can practice. Where I think, where you know, I try to help out people is understand, like, look, I have a lot of things going my way for practice, time to practice, discipline. You know, my my daughter's 17, almost 18. I've got partial custody, so I've got a lot of time. And and Amy takes care of me. Proximity to Tom Club. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm five minutes from, from Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. And I've got Danny, Tommy, Alex, and then the Jedi Master, Tom Sr., who can help me out all the time. And so... I have a lot of practice, and that is a big part of it, and I have it with good people around me, and and, um, and I have something wrong with my brain where I get hyper-focused and I can't, you know, just let it go. Um, but if you take a, a, a guy that's prone to target panic, um, that maybe doesn't have the greatest hand-eye coordination, you know, he's going he's gonna to have a little bit more time. You know, he, he's going to struggle a bit more. It's not that easy tipping shit over to begin with. You know, and then no. you've got – the recurve where you can short draw, long draw, pluck the string. I mean, you know, people, you know, if they knew like, you know, you only remember like the sunny days in Washington. You don't remember the 230 that it rained. Um, you look at the, like the trials and tribulations with a, a recurve with, with when you start talking to, to shooters like you or Lander or Randy Cooling, Denny Sturgis, South, I'm, I'm missing a ton, obviously. Guys that have shot for a long time. I mean, South just started that, that many long ago. There's going to be some bad stories involved <laughs> in that career, just because it's it is it is difficult shooting the recurve. There's nothing like it. I had I had a year down here to where I had decided to to go um, three under and start gap shooting, uh, and the reason is that uh, Byron Ferguson is from Alabama. Um, and Alabama is a big traditional bow hunting state, always has been. And I ran into him a few times and watched him shoot and had opportunities to spend time with him. And, you know, he's the ultimate gap shooter. And so I decided one year that I was going to dedicate myself, but you know, to shooting arrows through wedding rings. <laughs> so anyway, I was so deadly on the target range. It was just, it, it was insane. And so I got out and got in a tree stand and started hunting with this new system that I had that was foolproof. And I went 11 straight, not even 
cutting the hair. You talk about frustration. I mean, I ground tuned the shit out of multiple bows that year. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I swung some from a top of a 30 foot pine tree multiple times. I mean, it was just insane. And so then I went back to my wheelhouse, just, you know, instinctive shooting and, and it just came right back into the fold, you know, but those are things that people are going to have to go through. They're going to have to skin their knees, you know, to, to figure out what works best for them. Yeah. It's occasionally I'll do a seminar or whatever. And I, I kind of make jokes about, you know, that mythical flight of the arrow. There is nothing like it coming out of a recurve. I shoot kind of chartreuse fluorescent yellow feathers. And so I can see them. I got a big yellow wrap and, you know, the, the story is obviously, uh, you know, the, the first arrow I shot at a big game animal, and then I say actually the second because the first one landed between its feet because I probably collapsed and shit my pants. But the second arrow, watching the arrow go through, was unbelievable. There is nothing like it. And knowing the amount of work that goes into it and all that, it, it is something that I think some compound shooters won't realize what they're missing until they start doing it. Because you you do miss a lot of that shooting a compound, and I and I love shooting a compound. I'm not down talking that at all, but it is it is a lot different. Um, you it know. is, and I, you know, do you remember your first year uh, hunting with a trad bow? You came down here, and we did a podcast, and I said, um, uh, y'all asked me about Aaron and the traditional bow being in traditional bow hunting now, and I said, well, there's going to be a lot of guys that jump on and then a year from now there's going to be a lot of guys that jump back off because some people make it look easy <laughs> and then people run out and get them and then they go holy shit this is the hardest thing i've ever done but when you actually make it work and you see that arrow fly from that that trad bow and go through an animal there's nothing like it no there's not and i, I can't it's hard to even explain and in words, not to get all Donnie Vincent, Brian call on you. I'm not good at tighten, typing up a bunch of shit under my photos. And so I just don't do it. But if I could put it into words, it's literally like, oh, I just watched uh, a movie called The Dawn Wall, which is uh, about this unbelievable uh, rock climber that <laughs> just like a amazing rock climber lost a finger his index finger and anyway he did so many different things that are, are just truly amazing the the guy just um it was unbelievable and I, I strongly encourage people to watch it it's called the dawn wall and by no means am i comparing traditional archery to what this guy's done but he put so much effort into one of these the goals which was one of them was climbing this dawn wall um that by the time he got to the top and he, you know, he fulfilled his quest or whatever, you know, just total elation or whatever. Well, if you pick up a recurve, whether it's a doe or a 180 inch mule deer, I guarantee by the time you put an arrow through an animal, um, there is going to be, it'll be like the pinnacle of, you know, potentially your archery career, or at least at that point, because the amount of effort it takes to do it and it's a bit more of a gimme with a compound meaning i can have a guy within an hour shooting well inside of a paper plate at 40 and 50 with a compound that takes a long time and may never happen with a recurve and is difficult to do at 20 
with a recurve, let alone with an animal in front of you. So you put all that effort into it, and then you get to watch the arrow fly. So, you know, it's kind of a culmination of all those things going on, uh, all the hard work and everything else. And it's truly, uh, you know, it's changed the way I looked at things a lot. It's it's been uh, it's been super cool. Yeah. Well, I, I am I am I really encourage as many people to do it as they can because now that I sell arrows, if there's more trad hunters, they're going to lose a lot more arrows, which means they'll be buying more arrows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go, people. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. No, I, can't, I can't tell you. I can't tell you how many arrows that when I first started hunting with a trad bow, uh, you know what? I, I tell you this, if I would not have worked at a hunting and fishing store running an archery department, when I started trad hunting, I probably could not have afforded to do it. I lost so <laughs> many arrows and how those jokers can hide under a closely mowed lawn. I mean, where the grass is a, you know, a quarter inch tall, but you then you miss the target and those things will go bury up and you'll never find them. Never. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can use potato rakes. I mean, I don't know how they go disappear, but I, they, man, you can damn sure lose them with a trad bow. Oh yeah. Well, you, you know, you talk and, and, uh, you know, sometimes people just catch the, the, the grip and grin at the end. Right. And, uh, in the case, Alberta doesn't count cause that was a, a one stock deal, but you know, they catch the grip and grin at the end of like my high country hunt, which was the hardest I've ever had to hunt for anything. Um, you know, as far as physically demanding and mentally challenging and, everyone else and guys are like man that's awesome you've got this thing dialed and i'm like really dialed i missed five times three definite should have hit pissed blood almost freaking lost 18 pounds oh yeah i got it fucking dialed i'm got her nailed down i'm like are you kidding me you know how hard that was like i don't think it's ever dialed with the recurve right no. i mean <laughs> it's it's just it's one of those things where i wouldn't change any of it but man there are times you know you don't want to snap that thing over your knee and you're just like why am i doing this and then when it all comes together it sort of kind of makes sense or at least you tell yourself that oh yeah yeah you know it's it's one of those things that people need to see the other side of it uh before they get into it i mean just seeing the success is not a clear story you know i lost i lost one of my biggest bucks with a trad bow ever last year on that same same ranch out in Oklahoma and I hit that deer exactly where I hit that deer you know a few nights ago but I didn't get the penetration I probably had a bad release you know I was shooting uh, a three blade broadhead which slowed it down a little bit you know as far as penetration and you know probably hit a rib I mean all these things come together but those are the things that you have to be able to endure suck it up, take it and just chalk it up as a, as a, as a learning experience instead of a bad experience. It's got to be a learning experience and that's going to push you through to be successful. A lot of people lose a deer like that or make a bad shot or miss a big deer like that. And they go, that's it. I'm never doing it again. And they go straight back to the wheels and, you know, and some people probably should but man if you can just stick it out learn your limitations and set those limitations for yourself as far as what your range is and all and people can be really really effective with a trad boat 
Yeah, no, and and I, I I can't say enough about one getting a good coach and getting set up correctly is pretty freaking important to not you know to not struggle as much as you're probably going to. Um, and you hear about it every day when I say setup. How many guys grab their dad's you know bare Kodiak recurve and go buy arrows at Walmart? Man, you're gonna have a hard enough time with the best equipment, let alone with stuff that's mismatched and everything else. So um, getting set up correctly is going to be a huge portion of that, you know, or, or at least get you well on your way. Um, and, and, and trying to do that as a guess is not a good idea. You know, you definitely want to talk to somebody that knows what they're, you know, what they're doing. And that's the, with a compound too. I mean, when you talk about getting arrows and, and uh, bows, you know, get everything tuned and set up with that. And, you know, single pin, multi-pin, you know, definitely seek out advice and instruction. Um, and you're going to be a hell of a lot farther along than, than you would have been. Well, I'll tell you this. If, if I guarantee you that everybody has somebody around them that they know. If you're in a hunting club, a hunting camp, or in your area, there's always going to be that one guy that no matter what, year in and year out, he knocks them down. He's putting big bucks on the ground with his bow every year. That's the guy, you, if, you, if you're wanting to be a, a great bow hunter and a successful, consistent bow hunter, you got to go see what this guy's doing. And I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, when you go reach out to that person for help, you're going to see that he has a very simple, non-complicated system. That's it. Simple, simple, simple. And that's where people get so out of whack with this stuff is they go into the shops and they buy all the gadgets and they try to get into all the tech before they actually get into understanding how the bow even operates. And that is, you know, that's what people have got to change their learning curve and start it at, you know, the basement instead of trying to start at the eighth floor. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I agree. Um, and you know, as time has gone on, the keep it simple, stupid or whatever definitely pops up. And, and I get guys that trying to get a certain, per, not to start beating the FOC thing. Don't worry, all you haters out there. We're not going to talk about it again. Don't worry about hitting a percentage of FOC, though. Worry about good arrow flight. Um, you know, things like that. Like, don't necessarily worry that you have to have 288 feet per second. Um, you know, worry that your bow is quiet, things like that. Like, don't get stuck on specific numbers. And, and on the yep. tech side, that's really where it happens. Uh, it seems to me anywhere when people get on that tech side is they have this this exact blueprint in their mind of what should happen. And they forget kind of everything else trying to hit those specific numbers when sometimes that can be super detrimental to your setup and, and cause you to go crazy. Because, you know, as long as I... You know, when I setting up both the recurve and the a compound, as long as I was between like 260 and 280, I really didn't care as long as my arrows were flying good and my bow was quiet. And there's a lot of times if my bow was loud, I'd, I'd change my arrow setup and I'd shoot a heavier arrow to get things to quiet down a bit. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that, that I've always tried to do is I've always tried to get my bow to shoot 265. And I know that sounds stupid. But the reason I've always tried to stay at 265 is because, like I told you before, I basically shoot a single pin, 0 to 30, and I understand that flight, that arc. I know exactly what that arrow flight is. I know basically the ballistic at 265 and that, you know, 500-grain arrow. I know what it is. 
So every bow I set up, you know, I may have one on 65 pounds, but I may need to take the next bow and crank it up to 68 to get it to where it's going to 65, just because I want those ballistics, for lack of a better term, or that trajectory to be the same. I mean, that is the consistency that you're looking for. And of course, the bow's deadly quiet, and which is, you know how important that is to me. That's why you make fun of me and my whisker biscuit, but I don't have any moving parts that, that clank when the bow cuts off. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and if you're going to keep your distances relatively close, that whisker yep. biscuit is hard to beat. Um, you know, yep. I, I put I ended up putting a um, drop away. Um, both, I mean, Amy's got a DOA, an AAE DOA, and then, and then uh, Kaylee, my daughter, she's got actually a hamski, but she's been – you know, she started, she's been shooting a long time. And so dropaways, you know, Amy's clicks into place and, and holds the arrow. But if, if I didn't have the, I didn't have 40 different arrow rests laying around the house, basically, I would have started them off both with a whisker biscuit because it won't fall off the rest. It's simple. Um, I personally probably would never shoot one. Um, I just don't have a need to, but as far as simplicity and no moving parts breaking, you can't beat it. I mean, it, the thing can't, I mean, there's nothing to break on it. No. And I mean, I'm never going to shoot a whitetail over 30 or 40. I mean, 40 would be the max and, and it would have to be a mid a Midwest whitetail at 40 and Alabama whitetail. My max is 30 and you've seen it. You understand what I'm saying when I'm making the, you know, when I'm di- differentiating between the two locations, an oh, Alabama yeah. whitetail at 40 is a different animal than a Midwest whitetail at 40. Yeah, so, I, I shot at an Alabama whitetail at sixty. It wasn't pretty. What? I shot at an Alabama whitetail at sixty. I bet that deer was six eight feet from the arrow when the arrow got there. Oh, dude, he had already relocated and was feeding somewhere else by the time <laughs> the arrow. I mean, he was like, "Fuck your couch." <laughs> yeah, it was bad. <laughs> yeah, he was gone. But yeah, so, but you know, I sight my bows in out to sixty for follow up shots and. I am not a great compound shooter like you are, but if I can, you know, shoot an eight inch group at 60 with broadheads out of a whisker biscuit, then of course it happens. I'm shooting a heavy arrow, which helps with those groups. But if I'm shooting the eight inch group consistently at 60 yards and I'm never going to take an initial shot at that, you know, my 40 groups are touching arrows are touching my 50 groups. They're almost touching. I mean, the the average hunter that can't shoot like Aaron Snyder, that's as good as you're ever going to get. There's no reason to have another moving part that is susceptible to failure. So, you know, I, I'm just never going to be in that class of compound shooter that needs the fall away rest. I'm sitting up more for just a super quiet, simple killing machine. That's what I want. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, and even without, you know, whatever, at the risk of getting bashed more for arrogancy the the groups like that there well we've talked about it it is not just shooting it is also tuning at a very anal level and not just your your arrow and your bow um you know getting your bow set up properly and getting everything dialed in on your bow and then um weeding out the week if you if you are shooting arrows that can have flyers um figuring out what you know as far as point weight what's the best point weight your fletching set up three or four fletch it, it go, there's a lot of time that goes into that for shooting just like long range shooting you look at a guy like john pinch who's number one in the prs right now the amount of time he spends reloading um to figure out the best um 
whatever. I'm not a rifle guy. The best powder and all that different shit to whatever bullet combo. Yeah. I'm retarded when it comes to that. He spends so much time doing that, but that's what it takes to shoot long distance, you know, proficiently and and do it, you know, over consistently. Um, obviously, with the recurve, a paper plate group at, group at 40 yards is a big victory as far as I'm concerned. And it's hard enough to do that. You know, most guys at 20, if you're hitting a paper plate, you know, that's like victory. Um, you know, and keeping all that in mind, obviously, before you dive into one or the other, um, there's certainly pros and cons to both, but, um, it's definitely yeah. going to take work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want I want to, you, you just mentioned a couple of things that I want to say, uh, to compound guys that I, I, I remembered a couple more questions and things, uh, about getting your bow set up with regards to arrows. And then I'm going to probably have to jump off after that. I've got two more stands to put up for you guys. And then I've got to watch uh, Alabama stomp the shit out of Auburn at two thirty. So that's like priority. <laughs> in the day, right? so, um, but anyway, uh, one of the things that I get a lot is guys that say, Hey, I want to shoot a 28 inch arrow. I want everybody to hear this and not hear what you want to hear. Cause it happens a lot. <laughs> The length of your arrow should be the last thing on your choices, not the first. It should be the last. You don't start with your arrow length. That's the last thing. What you want to do is figure out what the proper spine is going to be for your draw weight, draw length, and your bow, including what point weight you're going to shoot. Because if you say, I want to shoot a 20-inch arrow, and let's just say that, you know, you give me your specs, and I'm going, wait a second. You know, if you were going to shoot uh, a 125 or a 150 head, that'd be perfect. But if you're only going to shoot a 100-grain head, you really need to be shooting a 29-inch arrow. So uh, I have a lot of guys that just jump on and order based on the arrow length they've been shooting. Well, the whole reason to come to us is to get you set up properly, and it may not be that 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 that's the right arrow link, regardless of what your draw length is. So that's one thing. The second thing that people ask about is four fletch and three fletch. This is what I'm going to tell you about four fletch and three fletch. You can get great arrow flight without your fletchings. Okay. What I have noticed over the years is that I have some setups that just eat different food. Every bow eats different food. So. It likes stuff better than others. Just like every gun has a certain round, a certain load that it likes. So every bow setup is different. I have had bows that I'll shoot a four fletch and a three fletch. And believe it or not, sometimes the four fletch is just perfect money. Sometimes the three fletch has a flatter trajectory for whatever reason. I'm not that smart. Or, or vice versa, maybe the four-fletch does, but one of them may have a little flatter trajectory, and then one of them may, you know, twist right, twist left. You should try both. You should 100% try both. Get a, get a cheap fletching jig and invest the time in fletching your own arrows and play with those different setups. Play with different helicals. Because you'd be amazed at just the difference in what a group with four fletch and three fletch would do out of the same bow. And it, it, it may cut your tuning time down in half if you just play with stuff like that. Don't you agree with that? Oh, yeah, I do. And I actually, uh, Frank and I, or I actually I did it. Well, Frank asked me questions, but I did one on uh, bear shaft tuning. 
and group tuning. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I said was there's going to be one setup if you if you have uh, four different you have three arrows fletched up four different like flavors and then you mm-hmm. label them meaning group one is four fletch offset group two is three fletch helical group one is black group two is red group three is blue and as you as you shoot for groups at 40 50 or 60 yards by the time you're done marking those one of those groups when you t- draw a circle around all of them is going to be tighter and sometimes it's so significant, it's almost like blows your mind how much tighter one system could be than another. Same thing with 100 and 125 grain tips or 150 and 175 up front, whatever. Um, one, one of them going to shoot better than the other. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and it's not just the tighter groups. Is, is, is sometimes it's, it's point of impact. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had those that you know I can shoot a bare shaft just perfect. It's flying perfect. I put four fletch on it and it shanks low right, and then the three fletch hits right in with the, and then I've had it vice versa where only the four fletch hits with the bare shaft and the three fletches might hit a little left. So, man, you can go buy one of those cheap plastic, I think it's a boning, that red fletcher. Yeah. You can go buy those for $25. Yeah. I mean, or, a, or an Arizona it, easy fletch, same thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, one of those. But I mean, you can you can get a cheap Fletcher and play with it, and you'd be surprised at the difference. So, when somebody comes and asks me, "What do you recommend, four Fletch or three Fletch?" I'm not trying to be obtuse. I'm just when I say it's really up to you because it really is up to you. It's 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 like asking me, should I shoot a 150 grain bullet or a 165 grain bullet out of my 308? Well. It's really what the gun likes. It's not what I like. Yeah. And it's the same same way with the bows. It's really what food does the bow like to eat. And every bow is different. You can take three prime synergies identical, and they're all three going to shoot something just a shade different if you want to get that technical with it. They're certainly going to feel different because I had three, and they all felt a little different. Couldn't get any of them yeah. identical. Yeah. So anyway, but – uh well, man, it was an epic trip. I sure enjoyed it. You're always great company. You're good entertainment. Um, I am still hearing in my head and in my sleep, where are you thinking about sitting today? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was an ongoing joke. Like, I'd be going into pee, and I would ask him, and then I'd come back out and back. I know we just talked about this, but what do you think about tonight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, I'll be hearing that for weeks to come. So anyway, but it was a great time, man. I'm I'm glad we were successful and had a had a good trip and always fun and and um and roll tide. Yeah, all right, man. Well, I can't thank you enough for inviting me out there. And uh, yeah, yeah, everybody, check out it's Day Six Gear on uh, Instagram. And if you got any questions, feel free shoot them over to uh, Brian or myself on the arrows and setups and everything. All right. Thanks again, guys. See ya. Go, go Broncos. All right. Later, man. Yeah. Bye.